Hi, I'm Jen, and today I am gardening out loud. It is Monday, May 29th. It is about 6.45 a.m., and I'm out in the garden with some baby raccoons. Oh, they're not sure about podcast recordings, but one is on his way over. I usually don't come towards you, but this guy keeps running over my way and then running away again. Oh, he's just running to my side beds. Now he's running up the path. He's not quite sure what his agenda is, but he is not willing to give up his garden playground at the moment. We always have baby raccoons around here every year. This one, this gaze, as a collective group of raccoons is called, is a mum and a goat. Five babies. Although the mum is nowhere to be seen right now. She may have already gone to bed. This one is up a bit late. They are as far as garden pests if in one uncharitable frame of mind and um, co-gardeners in another. They're not so bad. Uh, they do do some digging. And I can see, if I walk out in the garden now, that they did some last night here. Um, but luckily they didn't dig anything up. Last year we had a bit of a battle about my beans because I would plant them and they would start to sprout and then the raccoons would dig there and I'd have to replant them. And this went on for some time. But in the end I had beans. So I don't really take many defensive maneuvers about this kind of thing. I just try and outplant them. Yesterday I put some compost down where I planted my beans, some homemade compost, which was a little rough around the edges. Um, and I was worried that that would be just extra tempting, like a little condiment for the bean meal that they might have. But I don't think there's been an unusual amount of digging there. So I suppose we'll put that one in the wins column. It was a hot, busy weekend. Oh, there, there's some bees visiting the raspberry flowers, which is still a site that is new enough that it's worth stopping whatever I was doing to watch. I have a fairly large shaggy raspberry patch around one side of my garden. And it gives me, in a good year, a good amount of raspberries. But those smaller ones, they're fairly neglected. I don't really get any special treatment. But they're delicious. And a harvest from a space that otherwise might not be that productive. And the bees are sure enjoying them right now. So we're still in purple season in the garden. So many more irises out last week. And the chai flowers are out and the alliums are opening up to full sphere, which is so lovely. 
I also have a common sage plant that is going to flower soon and it will make purple flowers too, joining the kind of purple chorus that is rising up in this garden. This sage plant has seen better days, but it's hanging in there. A couple cold winters are really hard on it and killed another one of my sage plants, but this one, about half of it soldiers on putting on some new growth and I'm grateful for that because I like sage. I also used the greenery and bouquets and so it's a really useful plant for me and also pollinators like the sage blossoms as well. Speaking of pollinators, the most exciting thing to happen in the garden this weekend was establishing a new pollinator patch in the front yard. So I almost never talk about the front yard. It's not a space that I generally really cultivate. It is in fact a shady, dry, crab grassy mess. Uh, I had to take the weed eater, or my grandfather called it a whippersnipper, to it before I could plant anything. Also because I didn't want the neighbors to hate me. But it's not a space that has traditionally been one that is important to me. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is simply the conditions of it being shady. Another is that if you're not a homeowner, which I am not, and I'm a tenant, your curb appeal <laughs> has less value. There's also no water access at the front. And so I've done some planting, which maybe we'll go out and talk about in a minute, that tries to take into account what water might show up there. But also native plants should need, after their first year, little to no watering. And so that's part of the strategy there is to plant native in that area. Let's go have a look and see if I am going to talk to myself in front of my neighbors. Oh, as we pass by the gate, the lavender is starting to bud. It's heard it's purple season. Okay, so we are now walking around the front of the house. You may hear the bird song get louder here because it is louder. I'm lucky enough to live on a very treed street. So now we've come out to the front lawn, which is dominated by a big linden tree that a squirrel just leapt acrobatically onto. The tree is just over four stories high and it's getting ready to bloom soon. Linden flowers are edible. They're often used in teas and other infusions. They can have a calming kind of sedative effect. Down goes the squirrel. He has a big nut in his mouth and preparing to find a home for it. Anyway, that tree is at the front of the yard and then we have a stretch of scrubby dirt and crab grass and some violets that I've planted and some Canada goldenrod stands that have planted themselves and I am not inclined to get rid of because Canada goldenrod is such an important plant for pollinators. 
supports a huge range of insect life and does not need to be babied. It is a very vigorous plant. So it is allowed to stay. Then tucked right beside the house, we have uh, what I would call pollinator patch the first, which I made last year when I came into some plants. And it's doing okay. Oh, the plants have survived. We have some pearly everlasting in here. We have some large leaf aster, some zigzag goldenrod. Uh, this one is white Athens. I also have some violet there. I planted a few spring bulbs because I tend to acquire a few more spring bulbs than are strictly necessary. And there was a sedge there which I moved out because I had foolishly planted him behind the drip line of the roof of the house, which means when the water fell down, that place was constantly dry. And so I had to hand water it. And I don't think it was super happy there. So I dug that up and I moved it to pollinator patch the second, which is the one that I made the other day. So this one is a couple of square meters in size. I just kind of carved it out of another section of the lawn. And I thought a bit more about placement this time. I had spent more time observing. And so one thing I could tell was there was a section of the lawn that got more sun. And so I've planted it in the sunnier section. One of the ways that I could tell that besides just watching the light itself was that some asters seeded themselves and grew here. Keeping in mind that I do absolutely nothing to nurture this area. So I thought, well, maybe I should plant other things there. That might be a more promising area. It's also the area where there's a downspout from the roof. And so in terms of it watering itself, another good place to put plants. There's another downspout at the front that I have a bucket under that I uh, use to collect water to occasionally hand water out here. But the more that can be done directly, the better. So what did I plant? Well, I got a few things from a few different sources. There are some ferns. The ferns were donated to me from others. And, you know, these aren't going to do a lot for pollinator support. But I wanted to put some more established plants there that can tolerate shade. Um, and that make it look like a little bit more of a finished garden. Because one thing about planting native plants as they often start out quite small and so it doesn't look like a whole lot and since this is on a front lawn that is traditionally unkempt I wanted to put some things that were a little more finished looking in there so there's some ferns at the back I also got a lot of plants from project swallowtail which is run by pollinator partnership Canada and so for 25 bucks I got 10 plants that are quite small but that are appropriate for shade and that bloom at different times throughout the season, which is a key thing when you're trying to provide food for pollinators. You want something to go from early spring all the way to late fall. I also picked up a couple of plants at the Parkdale Port native plant sale on the weekend. So got a couple bigger ones from there. This white wood aster, some wood poppy, couple of native columbines which are the red and yellow ones rather the flowers are red and yellow 
one of these ones looks not so happy so that one might not have been a great purchase but oh well and then in the swallowtail flat we have plants like thimbleweed we have a large leaf aster another wood aster um, a like two white snake roots so plants that might not be familiar to me to you a lot of them weren't familiar to me also a friend picked me up a um, early meadow rue from a children's native plant sale which is awesome a real level up from the lemonade stand and in this area there are some common milkweed which have popped up here uh, i did plant a, a common milkweed plant that was from the David Suzuki Foundation uh, maybe three years ago, four years ago, and now it continues to kind of spring up in new areas. And I've left that in here because another important pollinator plant, this time for the monarch. And basically what I did is I haven't given these a lot of special treatment because native plants are tough. And in fact, if you, you can kill them with kindness by giving them too much compost, all of this kind of thing. So this soil here is hard, it is compact, it doesn't get any water, has very little life that's feeding it. And so all I did is I put down a couple bags of just like strict topsoil that I happened to have from a auction lot I bought. I planted these in holes so that I had to chip out of the ground. And then I watered them and covered them with a layer of about about an inch, maybe a little bit more of cedar wood chip, which came from the same auction lot. And so the wood chip will help keep down com competing weeds, help keep moisture in when it does arrive. <clears throat> so a useful thing to do if you're planning any garden, but especially a garden that you want to be low maintenance as mulch is your friend. So, you know, it's looking not bad. It's a young garden. It's really not going to catch its stride for a couple more years, but uh, I'm happy with it. And hopefully the neighbors don't find it in front, but it couldn't be worse than what was here. So I'm glad to have this little, this little patch in space that was really underused. So you may wonder, Why? Why do this? Although we all have some idea, right? It's about needing to support the bees and the butterflies. We know maybe a little bit about the monarch and the milkweed, but why plant these native plants? Because you might say, you have a whole garden back here. It's got to be like a buffet at all times. And it is a buffet for some. For bees like bumblebees or honeybees that are generalists, that can feed on all kinds of pollen on different flower shapes. Yeah, there's a lot here for them, definitely. But A, some plants are better. They have more protein in them, for example, in the pollen than others. And there are some kinds of bees, notably our native bees, that co-evolved with plants here. And they may only have one kind of plant that they rely on. To further complicate things, some of those native bees 
don't have a very big foraging range. Some of them can only go a few hundred meters from their central nest. And so when you think about that in a city, there might not be a lot of food in that range, let alone the special plants that they need to survive. So what you can do in a city environment, if you plant a dense habitat area, the range of plants, you can be part of the survival of that particular group of bees. When I was doing some orientation with Pollinator Partnership with Project Swallowtail, they showed a map of the early days of Project Swallowtail, which started in Parkdale High Park. And you know, you have maybe 20 circles on the map showing where there were gardens. And, and that's great that I'm sure helped some species through the season. And then a few years later, they showed a map with an expanded map of more of Toronto with like hundreds of gardens on it. And that to me was really inspiring because it shows not only the impact of one person where you think I made my, my spot, that's great, but it shows the power that we can have collectively when we make these actual pathways through the city, these beautiful wildlife corridors that can help species survive. And each action was only one person doing their thing, but collectively you could really see the impact from that map. So I'm really glad to have my little patch out there. And by having it at the front, I didn't have to give up any tomatoes or any cut flowers or any of the things that, you know, I really treasure. And they could still do something good. So maybe there is some land you have access to that has this kind of underused area where maybe it's shady, maybe it's dry, but there are maybe native plants that could work for that area. And Pollinator Partnership has a great um, plant finding tool. I think it's called Find Your Roots. I can link to it. That allows you to look for the best plants for your area, not just in Toronto, anywhere in the country. So I encourage you to look at your site again, maybe there's some potential there. The less strictly practical reason to do it is that some days this world is hard. There are a lot of things in need of care and repair. And taking a little square patch of earth and putting something in there that supports the more than human world, but also the human world through carbon sequestration, for example, through absorbing flood water. It's doing lots of good things for humans too. Can sometimes be the kind of emotional sustenance that we need to keep going. We are capable of so many small acts that can make this world better and that can make us feel better about the world. So maybe that means this week going out and buying even a single native pollinator plant. You can get them through organizations like Pollinator Partnership sometimes, although I think they've closed the main ordering for now. 
but also even Lawas has a section, section of plants that are WWF partnership plants that are native plants. They cost about five bucks, I think. You could go and get one of those, ideally two or three, but even just one. Maybe make that your goal before the next podcast comes out. To plant one native thing, do it for our pollinators, but also do it for yourself. To remind yourself that we're all capable of doing things for this world and that it feels really good. Making that patch, that was really satisfying. And next year, probably I'll, ca- I'll carve out Pollinator Patch the third. Okay, I think that's quite enough from me and the garden and the baby raccoons this week. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.